You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Publishers look gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, what the fuck has been going on? Um, It's been eight months since I've thrown down one of these puppies. Um... And I, I, I need to just say sorry because it's not something that I like. I, I really wanted, I want to keep doing these podcasts. If you've reached out to me and asked, where are they? What are you doing? Have you retired? Um, blah, blah, blah. I, I appreciate all the messages. I really do because um, it inspires me um, and I like the inter- interaction. And uh, I know I haven't. It's just been, an, you know, for everybody, a weird space and time now i think off the back of my last podcast i think we went into another lockdown i don't even remember um and on the back end of that people i had some really great guests lined up and nobody no one really wanted to come and sit face to face to me and i don't want to do zoom you know and i think people were like well myself included it's like what what you know after those two years what what have i got to talk about you know, most of the conversations went, what have you been up to? <laughs> you know, stock standard answer is nothing. Sweet fuck all. Like, you know, trying to keep my sanity. And if you got through unscathed with your sanity and doing all right, how that's something to, I mean, to celebrate really. I mean, these two years have not crew around and it's still, it's still, I still see it. And I was talking to a friend of mine whose uh, husband is a, uh, primary school teacher and and he was saying to her just how like rattled still people are parents are they're just like overly sensitive everyone's overly you know it's not nothing we haven't just moved through nothing so i think it's important to give kudos and so I, i'm just saying this now because you know to keep the horse's mouth alive was has been tricky i've wanted to keep doing it but it's been a strange space in time um nonetheless i have a guest uh, who came over two nights ago and I'm just so grateful and it's just one of those people that I love to see wherever it is it's like down the street uh, the Jack board riders out of Winky in the car park um, at the pub not that I really go to the pub but at the end of the board riders he's always there and we, it's always good to have a chat with um, Finn Barry he's got always got a twinkle in his eye and he's always out and about and in nature Um you know, and I, and I, I always think, oh, is it because he's so outgoing into nature that, like, you know, when you engage with someone like that, they're fully alive. And I think that there's something to be said about, you know, spending how much time do we spend in in inside with screen time versus outside in nature, and how how connected you are to yourself. You know, you can see in people's eyes. I think a lot. Uh, and the communication, whatever, whatever. I'll stop rambling. But Finn Barry is. Um, is living in Torquay these days and oh I just had a it was awesome that that he came around I was super stoked thanks Finn um he's also known down around uh he's at the the Otway Sniffer is one of his nicknames um but he's 
an outdoors dude who is a uh, part of the Patagonia team here and fits right in to that vibe. Well, he certainly does at the moment. He's sporting a gigantic um, Bushman's beard, which is is off the hook. Um, but he's a hard worker. He is a family man. He is a frother of the uh, highest order um, and just an all-round good bloke uh, is Finn Barry. So I hope you enjoy my chat with Finn. Um Look, if you're in New South Wales, Queensland at the moment, you're experiencing the floods, my heart goes out to you. Um, you know, if you're in the Ukraine, and I don't think I have any Ukrainian or Russian listeners, but if, you know, even I spoke to a friend of mine in France the other day who was just, you know, I, th- I think this war is really impacting people in Europe. It's impacting people here as well. I know that. I'm acutely I'm aware, but my heart goes out to the, the Ukrainians. Um, you know, like uh, I was just saw a guy trip over today in the street and he didn't go down. He just had one of those trips. You know, there was one of those human moments where you're like, oh, and I just was like, oh, in my mind, he, he, I sort of like pretended I didn't see it because he didn't go down. And I know he had a little look around. He would have been embarrassed had I been laughing. So I didn't I didn't let him see that I saw. Uh, but I was like in his head, you you know, when you, that happens, you're like, fuck, you know, give yourself like, oh, you, you dumb idiot well you didn't see the you see the thing that i tripped on it um and you give yourself a little like you know or you laugh about it whatever i don't know how you talk to yourself um but you know the day-to-day it can be grinding and then i just think about those poor people in the ukraine on the day-to-day you know like they are running and fighting for their lives right now and uh yeah so my heart goes it's just so weird you know these two years i thought yeah you know they say yeah yeah get the fucking jab get the jab and we'll be back to normal you know um the jab gave me a sore heart by the way i will just say that but i got it i got them both and um I'm not going to crap on about that. Then, then I thought, you know, maybe we'll be able to take our seatbelts off, you know, just relax. We'll glide into 2022. This is going to be cool. But no, keep your fucking seatbelt on. Keep your seatbelt on because uh, it's it's the throttle is still on globally. Um, anyway, be nice. If you can be nice, you can make someone's day. I've, I've experienced it myself. Someone who helped me out today with some work that I was doing unexpectedly just and I was just like oh, gobsmacked by just like they didn't have to do that to help me and they just did and I was like you don't have to do that and they're like no no that's cool man give you a hand I didn't know this person from a bar of soap and I was just like fuck yeah you know that sort of shit gives me a little bit of a lift and so it doesn't take much to give myself a lift and I know that uh, if you're helping someone else you know how much it can give someone else to make their day you just don't know what the fuck's going on for someone and we're all walking on eggshells seemingly at the moment and if you're not that's gold too um but if you are you know um it's been rough it's been a rough few years and so it's okay you know i think you just got to give credence to whatever is coming up try and get above it don't let it drag you down but i'm going to stop crapping on now um i really hope you enjoy i had to crap on really because it's been eight months since i put a horse's mouth down and i felt like i need to explain a little bit there that it's it's um well it's been tricky it's been tricky for everyone so i'm not going to make too many more excuses but um look i hope you enjoy my chat with finn barry i loved having him around i love that we are out of fucking lockdown i love that we don't have to wear masks and i love that the COVID conversation is disappearing. Anyway, um, I'll see you on the other side. Wow.
Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. Dad was always in the water and I suppose it just kind of turned into Apollo Bay, you know, the lifestyle down there is by the beach, you know, it's not much else to do. So, you know, grew up sort of surfing the wall and just hanging down the beach and riding boogie boards and whatnot. But I still remember, I reckon my brother was in like the Aussie titles and I reckon it was like, I'm going to say 1996 Aussie titles. He was that good. Yeah, he was... He, yeah, he was he was real good. I think he was yeah, he used to do pretty well. I think he made like quarterfinals in the Aussies. That's huge. Back then at Woolies. But that was like my first sort of memory of getting my first fiberglass board, which was like a five five island board. And I still remember like being at Smith's Beach and the old man like pushing me into a wave and I like stood up and kinda of went sideways on the wave and yeah, I was kinda of pretty hooked from there. I still remember I still got the board as well. Yeah, which is yeah. pretty rad. Yeah. So kind of pretty fond of it. That's just sitting in the front room at the Skeenies house now, which is rad. And were you just obsessing over like surfing life and all those magazines and all? Yeah, pretty well. Like, I, I don't know. My brother used to just constantly watch surf movies on rotation, you know, like all those sort of old school ones, you know, Rubber Soul, I think was like the first one yeah. that, that, you know, my old man had and that I may have taped over that accidentally. <laughs> like cat dog or some shit like that <laughs> but um yeah no nah, it's like as soon as you, it gets your hooks in into you you know i sort of lived and breathed it from there on so you know i still remember pencil cases with you know peak stickers and all that shit over it and you know my brother had sponsored by body body glove i think it was or something like that and yeah you know, i used to have heaps of stickers like that and yeah just used to froth it yeah and what about academically at this time when you're like so frothing on school uh surfing were you how was your school and stuff yeah schooling look probably wasn't my strong point uh, yeah i'm self-diagnosed with adhd i reckon i sort of uh you know probably stems for why i go out and do stuff late at night and tinker around and whatnot and don't really like sitting still and watching tv but you know i was kind of lucky enough that if the waves were good the old man would grab me and we'd go for a surf you know as opposed to sitting in a classroom and whatnot and that kind of t- continued throughout school as i sort of got older the guy that owned the local surf shop down there hodgy used to like pick me up from the bus stop and we'd like scoot down the coast and get a wave down at joey or castles or wherever and then you know he dropped me at school mid-morning and how good no one would ever know yeah <laughs> it was good <laughs> i don't know if mum knows that but it used to happen pretty regularly awesome yeah awesome and so um did you ever have aspirations of going and following? Did you go? Did you go to the national titles or anything like that? Yeah, I did. I think you know, when I was young, you know, it's because you know Apollo Bay is a pretty small town. And there was kind of no real young surfers down there. There was just me and maybe three or four others. And um, you know, when I was like thirteen, I kind of like had it embedded to me that I was like going to be a pro surfer because you know I was the best thirteen-year-old in Apollo Bay, and it was like typical you know big fish small pond kind of thing and then i still remember like i reckon i did when i was like 13 or 14 i went to i think it was ballina and had like the rusty grom search or the rusty grom fest up there and it was like the first time i ever saw julian wilson surf who was like younger than i was and i was like holy shit this kid's doing like air reverses and 
I'm just done a 360 and pretty fucking happy about it. <laughs> and um, yeah, so I think that was kind of a bit of a eye opener, even coming up to and surfing state rounds and stuff like that. And, you know, there was the likes of like Casey Egan and Timmy Steve-O and those guys, you know, when it was the under 13s and Carl Wright from over the island, Stewie, Cam- um, Stewie Campbell, all these guys that were kind of ripping and I was sort of sort of thought I was the only one down there in Apollo Bay but you know every town had this really good surfer and um you know Case Egan was kind of like he ruled the roost when we were when we were that age it was pretty bad yeah yeah I remember Case being young at the rock he was yeah man he was like getting and his sister had it so dialed in man he was just getting so barreled and like you know Apollo Bay the waves are okay down there like you know, everyone goes down there and surfs it when it's offshore and there's a bit of swell and it's you know it's kind of good boneyards or somewhere is kind of pretty good but you know 364 days of the year it's usually pretty average there's, there is good waves down there but you know we don't get reefs down there like you do you don't have a winky pop or you don't have a bird rock where you can kind of just get barreled on tap over and over again and i think that sort of you know the likes of case egan was just getting severely drained and i still remember <laughs> it like standing on the uh, end of the end of the rocks there at bird rock the first time i surfed it and watching him get super barreled in this like yellow peak wetsuit and i was like fuck i've never been barreled like that <laughs> so um yeah it was kind of pretty rad did the rocks have uh kelp on it then yeah it definitely had like kelp on the end and um but i was like you know like looking back on it if i was to say it was like if i went and surfed it on a day like that today it'd be like hip high and you know glassy so it was like a pretty small average day that you see all those little grommets surfing now and they're all getting like these sick little barrels but uh yeah it's kind of different to the way i surf it now it's definitely breaks a little bit different yeah yeah it does doesn't it but i I, I, just because of the dog i don't surf it very much anymore i'm always it's just easy yeah to go to the the rocks a funny one it's it can be you know hard to get waves out there and you know i've lived up here for like shit 15 years maybe more now 16 years or so and you know i've sort of felt like you know only the last couple of years it's been like i've been able to get actual okay waves out there it was you know there's such a pecking order out there and rightfully so but you know it's always hard to get the good ones when you know you've got 15 guys that absolutely rip and know it inside out and it's such a tight little oh yeah take off and click and it's just yeah it is there's a little click out there and you know if you're in it you're in it and it, it's rad and you can get waves but you watch crew paddle out that don't know anyone and they paddle out and they sort of sit there and they think they're going to get one and they just get shafted <laughs> down the line and then the next set comes through and they get shafted on that one and they go down to the next line and then they usually paddle over to little rock and go in so going back so you were on this hunt thinking that you might have gonna go to the all the way yeah and when did, how old were you when you were like, ah, oh, fuck, I don't know. I reckon it was like when we started doing the Pro Junior Series. And um, at that stage, I was probably like 17 or so. And yeah, then you start to see, you know, all the really good surfers come out of the woodwork, you know. Like when I started doing the Junior Series, there was like Yaden Nickel and Sean Cansdale and, you know, all these guys, Ben Dunn, all these guys that are kind of like, big name surfers and then like my age group it was like wade goodall and mitch colborne and then you had julian and you know there's a whole bunch of crew you know maddie wilco for example like all these crew that have been like ct level surfers or wsl level surfers whatever it is now and um it's hard to keep up man (laughs) 
but yeah it was like that was a bit of an eye opener and you know I, I sort of did a fair bit of travel with you know James Healy from Aries Inlet and we kind of travelled and did it and, you know make a few heats here and there but it was just you know, within Australia just within Australia I did yeah. New Zealand once when I was like 17 or 18 I went over there with the old man but um yeah, you sort of soon realise how good those guys actually are. And, you know, Matty Wilco was pretty incredible back then as a kid. Yeah. And, you know, he barely went to school. He was kind of just surfing and travelling around, doing comps and, and whatnot. And then uh, I kind of finished school and did move to the Gold Coast and I sort of had all these aspirations to, you know, try and get good up there and do that and ended up just working pretty much the whole time at Quicksilver. Because that was the jam, there. right? There was like, if you want to make, you got to go up there. Is yeah, that, everyone's like, you go to the Gold Coast and and chase it up there. And uh, I did that, and it was fun for like eighteen months or so. And then I think I sort of realised up there, I was like, well, there's, you know, probably a hundred guys that are better than me at this age. And then, you know, next year there'll be another hundred guys. And then, uh, yeah, then I realised it was time to get a job. Was that a sucky? Oh. Not really. I wasn't. I wasn't ticked or anything at it. I was kind of pretty at peace at it. Yeah. So I was, you know, just up there enjoying the waves and whatnot. But and were you partying? Uh, yeah, not not massive amounts. Like we we definitely got on the piss when we did it and and whatnot, as uh, you know most country country kids do when they go to the the big lights of the Gold Coast. But I moved <laughs> up there with my um with my now wife and you know we're kind of just living in varsity lakes out the back and we're both working and i don't know there kind of wasn't heaps of partying like not as much yeah i kind of actually when i moved up there i really missed hanging out with i suppose the boys i grew up with you know they were all still down in apollo bay and they were all partying pretty hard and i was kind of pretty keen to get back down and and get on the piss with those guys and then pretty well by the time i moved back to Torquay, those guys, a lot of those guys had sort of moved off to the mines or started traveling around Australia or moved to Melbourne and, and done that. So I kind of missed that a little bit. Yeah. So you did, you did move back from the Goldie to Apollo Bay? No, no. I just moved back to Torquay and um, started working at base surfboards. And um, it was funny, you know, like, like Apollo Bay, like when I turned 18, <clears throat> all I wanted to do was get out of there. You know, it was like such a small town and I'd been there for... 18 years and then I, I got my license and I was like get me the fuck out of this small town and you know came to Torquay and, and loved it and did 12 months here and then uh, and then moved to the Goldie for about 18 months and then back to Torquay but I feel like since since being on the Goldie and then I moved back to Torquay it was like something inside me changed all I wanted to do was get back down to the bay and, and chase waves and hang out with the boys down there whereas yeah when I was 18, I just wanted fucking out of there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I get it. Totally. And um, within the career that you'd come back to working for, was it Bay? Bay Surfboards, yeah. yeah. Which was, it was essentially um, like Darren Hanley, Simon Anderson and Murray Burton. Oh, that was the... Yeah, so that was that like little, little group of um, shapers. And I was just working in there sort of, you know, it was a dedicated surfboard store, which was rad because, you know, I lived and breathed surfing. So yeah. I was just basically fingering surfboards all day, which was <laughs> kind of pretty rad. Yeah. <laughs> I did. I, I actually loved it. It was good fun. Yeah. How old were you at that point? Uh, I reckon I was maybe 21. Oh, dude, we're doing then. all that stuff when you that age is just epic. Yeah, it was a rad job and, you know. It was, yeah, you know, I was barely making ends meet, but you know, because then I came back and then I was hitting the piss. I was going to the Torquay pub every weekend and 
Easter would roll around and that'd be a four night bender and all of a sudden you're like fuck I've got no money for rent and it's like <laughs> but you know you always manage to find 50 bucks to go to the pub don't you yeah and always it's like, <laughs> it's like oh, I might just sell that surfboard and it's like but um and so the Bay City job you've, you've worked in the surf industry now I do yeah so basically I started there um, I remember like so when I was 15 I did work experience with Glenn Casey did you? at Glenn Casey agencies in South Melbourne awesome and uh, you know all these other kids from school went and did like nursing and you know school teaching and, and shit like that and they, you know you'd get home to the hostel at the end of the night or the end of the day and you'd be like oh what'd you guys do and you know they're like oh I had to you know sponge bath an old man or whatever and do all this you know ill shit and they're like what did you do and I was like it was sick I was, went there we hung out we smoked seas in the alleyway I went to Club X for the first time which was kind of pretty rad and I reckon it was like from there I was just like fuck fuck school I'll just you know get good at talking to people and then I'll um, get a job as a sales rep and do that you know it's all I wanted to do and after that was become a sales rep so that's what Case was doing. Yeah, so he had yeah. an agency, and I think he had um, Arnett in that house and Rusty as well. So I was actually had had a sponsorship with Rusty at the time, so I kind of knew those guys through that and teed it up. But yeah, they just I don't know. It seemed like a pretty sick job. They were basically just had good crew in there, their own surf shops, and they would just talk shit all day and and sell stuff while doing it. And I was like, yeah, I can do that. Now, did Case have Patagonia then, or was it? No, no. So this was far out 15 years. This is nearly 20 years ago. So this is well before the yeah. Patagonia thing. And then, um, well, essentially, like, I, I sort of finished school and I opted not to go to uni or anything like that. I was just like, sweet, I know the right crew. I'll be able to get a job. And I basically finished school and I hit them up and I hit up Case directly. And I remember being like, you know, I finished school. You know, haven't done the junior series hasn't worked out maybe like can I, can I get a job and he was like you need to go and get some experience so essentially I just worked in surf shops you know I worked in base surfboards I worked in quickie when I was up on the Gold Coast then came back to base I did like the peak team manager thing for a little while and then after I think you know it was like total maybe two and a half years maybe three years of that from finishing school I was like alright well I've got all the experience in the world now can I have a job and they uh case put me on as a uh, as a junior rep and i like had no idea what i was doing you know like basically i remember they put me in a room with you know some some account from wherever that now like all right cool you sell this range and i still remember like standing up in front of them and just being like here's a t-shirt <laughs> i had no idea what i was this doing one's black yeah fully and i was like had no idea so i was like ridiculously green probably didn't quite understand the concept of um of how to sell stuff at all but uh got in there and and did it and well good on case for you know giving your leg up yeah well i hassled him enough and he um yeah obviously i got along pretty well with him as as case gets along with everyone yeah but um yeah i was pretty stoked he, he that was when pretty much the patagonia thing kicked off for him i remember he wasn't there a great deal and uh i think he, he was kind of you know in the background and he was quietly, you know, trying to get the, the licensee set up with Patagonia. Because uh, I remember, like, coming down to Torquay and, like, setting up 
the Patagonia store where it is now and it had just like all swapped over and basically remember setting up all the Patagonia product in there and I I remember like looking at it and being like 90 bucks for a fucking pair of board shorts these guys are (laughs) tripping (laughs) and I was like Case has lost it (laughs) but um yeah who knew he was onto a good thing yeah well and it's come full circle on you yeah fully it was kind of as yeah I think I utilized that in the uh in the interview with Matty Martin when I you know applied for the job five years ago or so um, yeah, I, I'd sort of been at Rusty for pretty well 11 years and I'd been driving to Melbourne, you know, every day for 11 years from, from Torquay and Jack. And, you know, we had an office in South Melbourne and, you know, I had a couple of little, little kids, obviously, towards the end there. And I was just like, far out, I can't keep doing this. I think they were like 12 months old and it was like getting up at 6.30 in the morning, leaving at 7, you know, being in Melbourne all day, getting home at 7 at night and... I was just like, far out, this is kind of a little bit too brutal. And I was off it. <clears throat> and I ended up deciding that it's like, fuck, maybe the surf industry is not for me. And um, I actually went and got like my truck license. <laughs> I was just going to like drive trucks for my father-in-law. I was like, fuck it, can't be bothered talking to anyone anymore. I'll just drive trucks and like long and haul? do that. Nah, he's, he owns like, oh, he did own a um, this business in Geelong called Danley. And um, they had like 13 trucks and it was basically just like sand and soil supplies and garden supplies. And I was like, sweet, I'll just go and do that. Yeah. Go dump soil all day. Clock on, clock off. Exactly. And don't have to think about it too much. You can leave your work at work and you don't have to worry about it till the next day. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and then Hodgie, who, who's the surf shop I actually grew up working in from like 15 down in Apollo Bay. He sort of said, oh, there might be a role going at Patagonia. And... Um, you know, Matty Martin asked, you know, what you've been up to. And and I was like, oh, yeah, I, I know that brand, you know, not very well, but I know it because I, I sort of helped Case, you know, set up the store for a couple of days down there. So I was relatively familiar with it. And then, um, yeah, hit up Matty Martin and said, yeah, look, I'd be interested. Obviously, it was sort of based down in Torquay as well. So, you know, my hour and a half, two hour commute each day would be changed to a three-minute commute which was a pretty big draw card and then yeah went and sat down at the RAC with Matty Martin still remember it actually watched a fox run across the uh across the golf course but we just you know sat down and spoke shit for an hour I knew Matty relatively well so it was kind of pretty easy flowing conversation and then he was like yeah cool well I'd like you to come and meet Dane and um yeah maybe a week later or so I went and had a sit down with with Dane and you know, he, Dane, it was funny with Dane because, you know, everyone's like, you'll know who Dane is. And I was like, I don't know who this dude is. And um, then I sort of walked in and I was like, oh, that's that dude I always see in the Jack car park. And you just kind of, you know, it's like one of those guys you you recognize yeah, and you kind, of, yeah. kind of just give him the, the, the raised eyebrows as you walk past <laughs> and never actually <laughs> commit to saying g'day. And I walked in and I saw him. I was like, oh, shit, there's that guy. I've never said g'day to <laughs> But, um, yeah, we sat down and had a bit of a chat and, um, you know, he just sort of spoke about the way I do business and, you know, building relationships with accounts and, and alike. And, I don't know, we kind of gelled and, you know, I felt like after that, you were sort of like, well, when can you start? So, yeah, I went and kind of handed in the resi- uh, res- resignation with, uh, with Rusty and hung up the boots there. Um, it's, it blows me away how well Dane's done. I remember when Dane was working out the back in the warehouse at Rib Curl. Yeah. And, um, yeah, now he's uh, 
he's a clever guy yeah definitely it's, and he's always got you know an end goal in sight i think and that's probably what's what's you know why he's achieved so much through it as well so um going now this is always trips me out because whenever i talk to miles and you know this is the ethos the patagonia ethos you guys are like a pretty tight-knit you've got a thing going on yeah for sure and i, I mean like just locally the patagonia family is pretty tight but the uh like i mean patagonia globally has a pretty good message and constitution of product i suppose is, is that they a way do. of putting it yeah it's like and it's funny you know prior to to starting there you know i knew like i said i was familiar with the brand but i didn't know you know how deep that actually ran and you know everyone said oh man that such an amazing brand and rah rah it wasn't until i started working there and actually started digging into it realizing how amazing the brand actually is and sort of you know the more you work for it you know it sounds a bit sucky but like the more you work for it the more you love it as well because you get to know the ins and outs and i don't know that they are doing so much the brand and it's kind of it's all time you know i was i went to ventura to their head office in 2018 and I still remember, like, you know, chatting to Yvonne Schnard, who, who's the who's you know the founder of the business. And I say chatting, I basically was waiting in a in a soup line, waiting for lunch. And he was standing behind behind me, and I said g'day. But you know, one of the other guys was like, "Oh, what do you reckon, uh, you know, for this season and stuff?" And he, he he basically said, "Yeah, it's good, but we're not doing enough." You know, he he basically do more and more if he could, and give away more. Like environmentally, yeah. Yeah, he's just like, you know, their mission statement is, you know, we're in business to save our home planet and he, he fucking means it. Like, you know, that, that he nearly sunk the company in the 80s by doing it. So, And what was that? What was that? Do you know what that move was? Uh, I can't remember offhand. Vincent Stanley, who was his nephew, came and came and spoke to us about it. And I don't know. I can't remember the exact ins and outs of it. But, yeah, it was like the business was growing. They were, you know, giving away so much and whatnot. And then all of a sudden... I think the banks were just kind of like, well, you need to maybe <laughs> hold up, up a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I, yeah, from memory, I think they had to you know, lay off a whole bunch of crew and whatnot. And um, maybe they, they borrowed money. Can't quote me on that. But yeah, 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 essentially, they were basically like, we're never doing that again. Sail pretty close to the wind. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and so interesting, when do you hear whispers of what he thinks what the company thinks i don't know what you think of where we're going like is is there a change is it is it i'm a bit of a pessimist here i fucking <laughs> I, yeah. you know yeah. like i love people who have got good mission statements and are doing good things but you look at the other end of that spectrum and i just get fucking worried because there's so many people who don't give a fuck yeah definitely and i think the whole idea is you know they're, they're sort of trying to open people's eyes in that way but you know you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink at the same time and you know there's so many crew out there that you know don't believe that climate change is real and they're just like ah oh, they're fucking full of shit you know and they're just trying to sell more t-shirts or or whatever but yeah they definitely got an end goal and you know to i suppose reduce emissions and and things like that and you know offset it as much as possible and they're kind of doing that which is pretty rad and with like animal cruelty and you know how you know down feathers and 
yeah all well that. all that sort of stuff you know it's like <laughs> i feel like i'm in a training program what um, do you mean yeah well that was interesting stuff yeah well like all the all the down stuff you know we, we use a lot of recycled down throughout our products which yeah. is basically you know out of ex doona covers and sleeping bags and pillows and all that sort of stuff so across our entire sportswear line that is all like a, a 600 fill recycled down whereas in all of our alpine gear which you know requires a higher quality down we use this um advanced traceable down which is all basically byproduct of the food industry so that, you know we don't use conventional down which is you know live puck geese and all that sort of stuff it's fucked so, up hold on this just tell me what that is it's they so these geese are fucking alive and they pluck them and let the shit grow again and then pluck them again essentially yeah basically they they force feed the geese and then they, they, they live pluck them so they get the down. Because I don't know that back. everybody knows this because it's fucking... No, people don't. Bad. And like I, I do training sessions on, on this stuff and I used to have this like little cartoon clip that I used to play and then, uh, you know, a few times kind of ended in tears. Yeah, a couple of crew in the, in the training session were just like, oh my God, I had no idea about this. Um, yeah, but essentially from my understanding you can get like up to four plucks a year off, off, a, off a good goose. Oh my god! Which is you know if you can ima- yeah. <laughs> imagine like a plucked goose, it'd be it'd be pretty ill to see. And then you force feed it, you know, whatever to you know help promote the regrowth of new down, so you can pluck it again. What countries do that? Couldn't tell you because it's, they'll come and kill you, or you just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually not sure. I haven't looked into. Yeah. Yeah. Who's doing the play? Who, who's doing what? But I, I yeah. just know that we're not, which is a which is a good thing. Yeah. Makes me sleep a little bit easier at night in my in my down jacket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're sleeping in your down jackets. Oh yeah, sometimes. Oh, yeah. yeah, out in the bush. Uh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's up in the high country when it's you know zero or below, you um you're curled up in a swag and Yeah. So let's go backwards on that one. Um so when you go into the high country, the high country, the high country, um, you do you hunt with a bow and arrow or a rifle? No, I hunt with a rifle. Yeah. yeah, I'm nowhere near a good enough hunter to be able to hunt with a with a bow. Yeah, and yeah. so how have you always been into hunting? No, not really. Like when I was a kid, you know, when I was really young, me and my best mate Tommy, we used to fuck around with an air rifle and stuff. When I, you know, on his farm, he had like ten acres. We used to cruise around and shoot at stuff and yeah. whatnot yeah. and like his his old man was a hunter and I, I used to love that and then <clears throat> kind of didn't think about it for for years and years until I was probably like mid-20s and I was like fuck maybe I'll get a gun license you know something to yeah, do yeah fuck it and so, a truck license and, and a truck yeah. license and yeah <laughs> get a get a get a blue bonds wife beater and yeah call it a day but um yeah I ended up just getting a gun license and and sort of, you know, ended up hanging out with Adam Rawson a fair bit and, you know, that, that little friendship's blossomed, yeah. so to speak. And then, yeah, all of a sudden we're kind of up in the high country chasing deer and whatnot. And I'm a shocking hunter. I just enjoy going up there and doing it. And it's good fun to get away for the weekend and go out there and track footprints and, and do all that. Adam always usually shoots something. He's, he's pretty good. So, you know, sort of riding the coattails of that a little bit. And so when you get a, a deer, do you cut it up up there and skin it and bring it back? Is that the... Yeah, so it's like 
it's usually if somebody shoots a deer like we've all got radios and whatnot and because you hunt solo so one person will go one way the other person will go the other way so you don't know like how far apart oh anywhere from you can be a couple hundred meters away from each other like on different sides of a valley or you can be a couple of k's away from each other you know depending on you know how you're feeling that day and how far you can you can walk through the bush and how quickly or how slowly but you can end up you know miles and miles away from each other and, and you can you can always hear a gunshot ring out up there it's like yeah. they're, they're big guns and they make a big bang what sort of gun are you using i have a 3006 which is a, a teak light a t3 which is kind of like i suppose an entry level rifle so is it 3006 is which part's the size of the chamber oh i couldn't even tell you okay is it a step up big is it bigger than a 303 yeah it's a little bit bigger yeah than a 303 it's you say like it's a, a small little... gun it's a fucking big gun oh it's like an entry level it's a big gun with a big bang but it's like you know in terms of you know price wise and stuff like people spend thousands and thousands of dollars on these things and i think this thing cost me like 800 bucks and you know 350 bucks for a scope and bits and pieces and whatnot so it's probably like a max out total like a $1,500 setup but crew crew cruising around up there with 10 grand worth of what? rifle yeah and then bolt action sort of thing no semi-automatic job just oh no semi-automatics went out after the uh, yeah 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 that incident down in Tassie yeah um yeah but basically you know you hear a shot ring out and then um you know you give it a couple of minutes usually and then you flick your radio on and, you know, you radio in with each other every couple of hours. You might say, oh, I'll radio, I'll, you know, check in at lunchtime or whatnot to see what everyone's doing, depending on who's up there. And then you'll be like, fuck, did you get it? <laughs> yeah, usually it's like fucking stag down or, you know, deer down or whatever. And everyone gets all excited and then you kind of grab your shit and, you know, you work out where they are. And then you'll kind of, you know, hike out to them wherever they are. <clears throat> and then you kind of, I suppose, field butcher it there and, cut it down and stick as much in your backpack as you possibly can depending on you know how far away you are from camp you know if you're three k's away from camp you want to do it in one hit but um you basically just carry as much meat as you can physically possibly can and then uh and cruise back and hang it up and leave it leave it there overnight and go out the next morning and so out of other predators sort of zone to get it is uh, that what hanging up or are you just bleeding it out no no well yeah you just like let it hang in the air and it sort of helps set the meat a little bit um you know no different to yeah an abattoir where they hang i suppose the meat in the in the cool rooms and whatnot usually we're up there up in the high country over over winter so it's usually pretty cool days so you're in the high country in winter yeah, yeah. snow um yeah i've done a great deal in snow like a lot of the tracks that we go to like they, they lock the gates so you can't get into those places but definitely been up there when there's when there's been snow which is kind of rad but the snow is actually kind of loud to walk on so yeah right you're kind of trying to steer clear of it now vegetarians out there might be having a little bit of a tough time with this but i think there is something epic about you know going out killing an animal respectfully bringing the meat home and putting it in the freezer or keeping the fridge and giving it away whatever you're doing with it sure. as opposed to just going to the fucking supermarket and having no connection to the food at all yeah exactly i don't know it's like there's some there is you know a bit of feel good about it when you when you come back and you've got a whole bunch of meat and you you know you set up and you've, you're set for a couple of weeks or, or however long and you know we do we do a lot of mints with our meat so you can kind of 
utilize it in all different ways um you know you kind of have the back strap which you cut up into steaks and you know you can just chuck that straight on the weber but um yeah it's definitely a, a more feel-good action than going to the supermarket and you know buying the free-range chicken just because it's got free-range written on it you know <laughs> you're kind of going out there and you know essentially you know all deer in australia are, they're a pest animal you know and they're kind of wreaking havoc through through the high country and through national parks and the like so you know you kind of you're sort of doing a good thing kind of getting rid of them to a point if they if they if you know there's choppers out there culling them which you know a lot of people don't know and they're going out there and just shooting them and leaving them to rot out there so at least we're going out there and getting them and taking as much back as we possibly can do you see those choppers when you're out there no i've never seen them but you you, you know as a hunter you steer clear of the places that the choppers have been because they just go out there and decimate everything that they possibly can and that's government Local That'd be government, government funded, yeah. and it's you know I don't know how much it actually costs, but from what I've heard, it's ridiculously expensive to go out there. Fucking no doubt. And then you know, obviously, just leaving animals there, you know, because they're obviously not usually clean kills. It's usually you know you just maim that one and it's yeah. snuck off into the bush yeah, and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. fly over the next ridge and go maim the next one. Have you heard about the guys in New Zealand that were like the first people to be able to catch deer? And then to, so people could then farm them before deer were being farmed. No. And so in the very south, when they're on the mountains, they would go in there, these cowboys are going in choppers, and they're they like, I don't know, there was a name for them. And they'd go in the choppers and they'd jump out of the chopper onto the side of the mount onto the deer and like wrestle <laughs> it down. I'm not fucking shitting And then they'd like tie them up and then they chop them out to lower ground and then pen them up and it was massive money in it yeah, and so right. the, there was like these proper deer, free range deer proper free range deer but these dudes were dying by the you know the choppers were going down they were trying to carry more deer off the mountain than they could and like the, there's a whole I, I worked with a couple of New Zealand dudes a while ago and they told me the stories and there's a whole graveyard in the south of New Zealand dedicated to all these dudes that were jump, jumping out of choppers <laughs> or flying the choppers and it was like the wild west and they they were then warring each other because there's so much money in it. Yeah, right. And uh, there was like a lot of shenanigans going on. Um, no, all right, you don't know about it. I haven't heard about it, but yeah. I'm, and, you know, I'll find my ears more, prick up. I'd be keen to. Yeah, I'll find out more. I'll have a little look into that. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, this is something that, you know, I think is awesome that you do and go out there into the nature because I think. You spend so much time in nature, whether it's surfing, uh, fishing, or hunting, and I just think that it's so important, and it's a sort of a lost part of modern humanity. And I think there's something like you've always got a pretty bright spark about you, and uh, it's probably your ADHD, but yeah, (laughs) (laughs) well, jacked up on Mountain View. No, but I think it's also partly because you spend so much time in the good elements of of Earth, you know. Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I do enjoy being out there, and you know, it's it's nice to be able to just hang out there, and you know, you go hunting and whatnot, and you might be sitting out there, and you know, sit down and you eat a sandwich, and you know, there's nothing around you for miles. You can't hear any cars or anything like that. It is you. You kind of feel pretty small out there especially in the in the high country it's such it's big country up there and you feel so so small up there but it's rad i do i love being sort of out there and now i gotta ask you have you bumped into the button man (laughs) no no i haven't i haven't there's been lots of stories and there's been plenty of uh chit chat around the campfire 
about the button man and you know i've heard uh plenty of stories about him but um no haven't, haven't bumped into him as of yet and so when you're out there around the campfire and you're chit-chatting um <laughs> no, yeah. no you know there's like how many people have disappeared in like a it's like an 8k radius yeah yeah there's been um yeah there's been been a lot up there a lot yeah yeah i yeah i i definitely when i climb into the swag at night i've always got my trusty knife <laughs> sitting there not that i think i could fend off the button man but it gives you a little bit of a little bit of hope yeah yeah yeah. um mum was telling me the other day my uncle he was he, he did that great alpine walk where you walk from new south wales along the alpine ridge into the victorian there's yep, some yep. big massive takes i don't know six weeks or something yeah right and he's he's an ex spook he was uh <laughs> he was asio for like 30 years yeah right you know and he, so he's like knows a thing or two and mum was telling me the other day that he got up in the middle of the night recently to take a piss and he sort of you know stumbled off into the bush to take a piss and he's looked up and there was two figures just black shapes walking towards him <laughs> Gives me fucking chills. No shit. <laughs> yeah. And he said he just stood there. He was frozen. And these two guys just walked pa- at him and they walked past him and kept walking. And they were just hunters in the night and they didn't even say g'day. They just straight past him. Oh, man. And he thought, oh, God, this is it. I'm going to get whacked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get whacked. They it. found me. Yeah. Look, I don't know. The, the, we had a... Um, Oh, I went hunting with with my best mate from Apollo Bay, who I who I used to muck around with the with the slug gun with when I was a kid, and you know I don't get away hunting with him very often, but um, we got away towards the end of last year, and um, we were in this Wanangatta Valley or the Wanangatta River, yeah, yeah, which is you know kind of I suppose where that the the couple went missing. It's the most remote part of Victoria. Yeah, yeah, it took about I don't know, it's probably. You know, eight or nine hours drive to get there from, did you, from did here. You, did you go the Haukal way or did you go in the back way? No, we went up through the back of Lakola and then up past Arbuckle Junction and we actually camped up on the top of the Maroka that night. Um, we were chasing deer up there, but the deer hadn't moved up there yet, so we couldn't find any any sign or anything. So we decided we'd cruise down close to the river and um, we got down there. We were completely unaware about the... You know, the couple that had gone missing down there and we kind of got you know drove for pretty much the best part of a day set up camp at the very end you know as far as you could drive essentially and um pulled up stumps there and camped and and whatnot and we hunted for for, for a day and a half and then uh we were driving out and it was funny i was chatting to tripper on the phone on the way back and he was like oh where are you you know i was like oh the one and got a river he's like yeah fuck button man country and I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> is it? <laughs> I was like, hadn't read into too much about where he where he is, and he's like, yeah, that's that's like where that where that couple kind of just disappeared and their camp got burnt out and whatnot. And so I was driving, and then my mate Tommy he he jumped on on his phone and started doing a bit of research, and he was like reading some shit out about it. And it was funny because he came across a camp up there. You know, he was probably five k's or so from the car. And he came across like a little bush camp, which was, you know, most likely just another hunter's camp that has done like a pack hunt. But he sort of found, you know, a chair and a um, 
you know, like chair built out of rocks and, you know, an old Oh, it's fire. a button man crib. Fully. And he, like, found an old bone saw in there and he was like, oh, I found a bone saw and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of a bit weird. And he was like, yeah, we'll come back and camp here. There's already a camp set up. Yeah, this is all prior to, I suppose, jumping online and, you know, doing a bit of research. And he was reading out all this shit about the button man and whatnot and he was saying how the button man, you know, stacks these little rocks. Yeah. Which you know, I was unaware of. But I was like, that morning I was like sitting there and I was like looking at this face, like trying to, not a face, like the, a hill face or a cliff face, trying to see if there was any deer there. And I was sitting there and I was having a banana for like mid-morning breakfast. And I was looking at this like little pile of rocks down in front of me and I was like, who the fuck has been out here and then decided to pile those like five rocks on top of each other in like this neat little pyramid in the middle of nowhere? And I was just sort of sitting there looking at it. And I was like, yeah, it must have been, you know, another hunter's out here, sat here and he's piled up the rocks to, you know, put a gun rest or something because this like vantage point that I was at <clears throat> was like, you know, a really good viewing spot for this whole sort of, uh, I suppose, northwest facing um, hill, which you would expect deer to walk out on. So I figured it was just that. And anyway, we're in the car and Tommy's reading it out. He's like, oh, yeah, and apparently he makes these little rock pyramids. And, like, I was driving and, like, every fucking hair on my body just, like, stood up on end. And I was like, Are you fucking serious? I was like, I was sitting there this morning. I was fucking looking at something like that. And, you know, I still kind of hope in my mind that it's like wasn't him and it was just a hunter but it was just yeah well as soon as he said that he makes little rock pyramids like my in my mind i just thought of it and i just remember sitting there just going what the fuck is that there oh that's for sure because you saw the the the, your mate saw the other thing he moves around he's got supposedly heaps of little places that he hangs like he never stays in one place too long well it's interesting because like we were in the the wanangatta river which is you know Technically, I think it's like maybe 50 k's as the crow flies from where the button man hangs. So I think we were in the Wanangatta River and I think he hangs in the Wanangatta Valley. Where the murders happened. Yeah. Where the original the murders, ones. Where the original ones happened. But we were definitely, you know, I think we were basically the next camp up from where, where that camp got burnt out and the um, the two, two older couples that were... And that was dis- a... Dis- um, disappeared. Virgin Airline pilot. Yeah, it was a pilot. Was, it, was he virgin? Uh, yeah, it was Virgin. Uh, no, Jetstar. I don't know. Can't remember. But I heard a rumor that he's trying to sue them for unfair dismissal. What? Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. A guy told me in Melbourne the other day. He was like, "Yeah, apparently he's trying to sue them for unfair dismissal." What was the dismissal? Do you know? I don't know. He didn't show up for a shift. I, I think, <laughs> hey, you've been caught murdering people. Yeah. Um, no, maybe, they, they maybe, maybe we're not going to let you fly a, a plane full of six hundred people. Do you know... Um, You're probably a little, like, just a little bit, you know, mentally unstable. So he came out of there and painted his car. Yeah, and he's fucking done it twice, too. Painted his car twice. And I'm pretty sure it, like, started off blue and then it was cream and then he changed it to another colour. So there could be more. Well, yeah, who knows what dude's dude's paranoid as fuck. Yeah, of course he is. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I, 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 I'd spoken to... Uh, a dude that works in emergency services and you know they all talk to each other and he's got a mate who's a soggy and they were like they'd been watching him from the get-go that guy Hmm. and supposedly what they'll do is they'll sneak him when they're not there into their house put a bug in and then obviously sit out the front of the house so they know they're being watched and just wait for him to fuck up verbally yeah um and that's what they were doing to try and sweat him supposedly anyway yeah. well, I think that's what happens you know 
from from the article you know a couple of the articles i read is you know i think he thought he was smarter than you know the people that were trying to catch him and i think he had the thought he had the upper hand but you know i think these guys are in their job for a reason and uh yeah they ended up getting him thank fuck yeah but yeah yeah there was there was a lot of a lot of stories on what could have could have happened and you know the yep. poor, poor old button man you know he's just out there you know trying to live his life by himself and <laughs> no but he's he not. probably didn't even know about the murders yeah. and everyone's like this guy's yeah, been murdering guilty. people you know hang him he's, yeah exactly <laughs> he's just out there living off the land doing his own thing cruising uh, around no but you know he does go into camps and take photos of himself yeah with, he's a fucking creeper yeah I remember if, we yeah I don't know I'm like, sure you're a nice man out there button man I'm not calling you a full creeper but you're a bit of a creeper yeah <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you my license place number just yeah. um yeah you scratch my back I'll scratch yours yeah. Yeah. but um yeah I don't know I've heard like you know stories that are not first hand by any means it's you know full Chinese whispers sort of style thing but you know stories of where he's like rolled into camp or crew have been like sitting around camp and had this kind of like elderly gent kind of roll in and just kind of like sit down and you know have a bit of a chit chat and then all of a sudden you know someone will go take a piss and they'll turn around and the dude's gone and so is their butane bottle you know he comes in flogs whatever oh, yeah. whatever he needs and and disappears but i don't know I, i've never actually you know spoken to anyone that's met him or seen him firsthand so not sure yeah, everyone's ringing. But supposedly he's got a brother that's like a <coughs> Supreme Court judge or something. He's always... Anyway, who knows? The other one, though, I'll stop harping on about this, but he's the dude that was walking, he was hiking up there, and he went to school up there at Timbertop, so he knew the area pretty well, and he walked off one morning on a track and then just vanished. They've never found anything. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's massive country up there, and there is so many little nooks and crannies that you could slip down and just disappear and i feel like you know a body far out a body probably wouldn't last that long up there you know there's so many predators whether it's you know birds and rats and the fucking wild dogs and shit like that like you know wild dogs would make mincemeat of a yeah anything that's up there you know you know we go to places that we've shot deer before and you know you shoot it and you, know, you leave, leave, you know, what you couldn't take or what wasn't worth taking. <clears throat> and you go back three months later and, you know, it's just dry bones scattered across, you know, a couple hundred metres. So, you know, um, <laughs> I imagine it would disappear pretty quick. And, you know, if it's in a pretty inaccessible place and you're not looking for it, it's going to be uh, pretty hard to find. So now going, they're going to trick back onto the fishing one. You've been fishing since you were young. Yeah, always love fishing. Always love fishing. Yeah, always <laughs> loved fishing. <clears throat> Sold a horse to buy a fishing rod once. Sold a horse? Yeah. You yeah. had a horse? Yeah, it was like when I was little. What sort of horse was it? I don't know, brown one. Got rid of it for a rod. <laughs> yeah, it was like this little pony sort of thing. And I think, you know, my mum rode horses and, you know, a few, a few crew in town rode horses and had these like, great plans for me to, you know, break in this little pony and it, to be my horse. And it kind of just sat in a paddock for however many years and then I think we sold it for like 150 bucks and I was straight down to surf and fish in Apollo Bay and bought a fishing rod and I was pretty I think I was hooked on it from there was it like a, a rod you'd go off a boat or a rod off the beach no nah, it was just like a <clears throat> really crap little combo I think I got a tackle box and stuff with it and you know a few hooks and sinkers and just something to get started with I was pretty young I reckon I was like 
far out. I might not have even been teens. I might have still been single digits. Was your dad into it? Nah, nah. Dad never fished at all. I don't even know why. It was like, it was just something that I started doing. I used to go down the Barham River and try and catch mullet and whatnot. I'd get a lift down there with whoever I could. Mum would take me down there or whatnot. And, and did you teach yourself how to fill them and do all, everything yourself? Yeah, pretty well. <clears throat> so my best mate, Tom, who... Um, you know, with the sluggy for, for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <They> remember <laughs> ten acres in the sluggy. His, yeah, his, yeah, his old man was a was a pro cray fisherman down there, and and they used to fish a lot. So I think maybe you know with those guys, I kind of got into a little bit more. And um, I don't know, I don't really remember anyone sort of teaching me how to fillet fish or do anything like that. I think it just kind of started doing it, and yeah, once you do it over and over again, you work out how to do it after a while. Oh, it's such a good... Th- I remember as a kid, we used to fish in the bay all the time and get flatties. Mm. And I don't know why I stopped, but I just... I stopped. And and, I, and now I'm like... into it. I know, but it's like... Because I've been camping a lot lately. Yeah. And I was like, far out, man. I wish I knew a little bit more about fishing again. Because yeah. if I pulled in a fish now, I wouldn't know what the fuck to do with it. <laughs> just fucking hang on and reel it in. No, but then... You no, know, I mean the whole cleaning oh, process. Yeah, and yeah. It's the whole thing. Yeah, I don't know. It's like these days now you've got you know, YouTube. If you don't know how to, you know, you catch a fish and you don't know how to do it, you just look up on YouTube how to do it and it's just like a full tutorial. I did that um, actually not that long ago. Yeah. I don't even have a rod. I did it not that long ago, <clears throat> maybe a few years ago with, I think, a, with a you know a small tuna that we caught and I was like, I don't know how to do this. I've got no idea what the fuck I'm doing. So I just looked it up on YouTube and it's like three minutes and you watch some dude who's a full pro with a really sharp knife carve it up and... You try and do it and you make an absolute mincer of it and then you keep doing it until you get it right. Yeah, but you must be doing something right because I did have a little spy today and I saw that you and your brother made an article in the, um, <laughs> I think it was in 2015 for catching some, was it tuna? Oh, I don't know. You, didn't, okay. you don't know? Uh, which article? What article? I think it was in the, um, it was a Geelong something or other and I was like, oh, no. nah, it would have been, I reckon, I know the one, it was like maybe catching gummies off the beach. No, it wasn't. It wasn't no? gummies. It was a big... I sound like Called a tuna. Co- big tuna looking thing. Yeah, okay. And the article's from a paper up here talking about the um, Barry Brothers from Apollo Bay. <laughs> <laughs> the notorious Barry Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Fishing expertise. Um, yeah, I'm maybe not super familiar with that one, but we've got a mate who um, works in trallies in, in Geelong in the uh, the tackle world there. And I think my brother used to send him photos and be like, "Fuck, look, yeah, yeah look what we caught." Right, and yeah, then he'd he'd chuck it up on a on a page or an article or whatnot. And so you go, you've got a boat. I do have a boat. <laughs> I have a boat. <laughs> what are you chuckling about? Oh, it's, <clears throat> I've got this little, you know, four point two meter Quintrex top ender, which is, you know, it's in sick bay at the moment. It's not not too healthy. It's got a few splits in the hull and. I've come pretty close to sinking it twice. So, well, back that. What does that look like out at sea? Yeah, well, the first time it happened was towards the end of last year, and uh, me and a mate Marcus went down to Apollo Bay, and we launched the boat down there in the bay in the dark, and all right, <clears throat> booted right down to Cape Otway, and then is that early morning dark or late night dark? Yeah, early morning dark. Yeah, I always like to try and get the boat on the water. Yeah super early and beat all the other boats down there to the boat ramp because that can be a shit fight and um 
we kind of cruise toddled down you know it's a tiny tinny it's like 4.2 meters and we toddled all the way down to cape otway and then you know cruised about seven or eight k's out at sea and seven or eight k's out in a 4.2 tinny yeah <laughs> Which, that's, is that beyond the horizon Nah, nah. You can still you, nah, nah. What's the horizon like? Oh, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Twenty k's, maybe yeah, a bit okay. further. Um, depending on how clear a day it is. But yeah, I, I pushed the the limits in the little tinny. But you know, I, I like to think that I'm able to read the weather reports and you know I've got a fair idea of what the ocean's going to be doing. I've been caught out a couple of times, but nothing too gnarly. But yeah, we we're out there and we we're kind of bobbing around and we'd um caught some half decent fish and then could see the weather was sort of starting to change and i sort of said to my mate i was like probably want to start thinking about fucking off now and um we kind of started cruising and i was like fuck boat feels super sluggish like just i don't know whether or not the motor was cavitating or or what but it just didn't feel right and i was like the fuck's going on and you know in my boat you know it's all enclosed so i've got this built-in floor and it's built in up the front and built in at the back it's all like casting deck so when i'm in the rivers you can sort of stand up there and it just wouldn't go and i was like <laughs> turned around and i looked and I, all this water like sloshed up out the back and i realized how much water was already in the boat and how low we were sitting in the water and i was like fuck we are like we're sinking <laughs> and my mate was just kind seven of, k's out yeah and the guy i was with he was kind of i don't know whether or not maybe didn't quite understand how treacherous the fucking water is down there you know off cape Otway. you know the tides when the tides run out it's you know can run at like six knots which is you know the tides are flying out and if my tinny only does 10 knots it means i'm only going four knots in so anyway i was like fuck we need to get out of here like now and we kind of started belting towards parker river did was, you have him bailing no because the floor's all built in oh, so oh. you can't even get to it yeah. you can just like you can see the water above the floor yeah right you know that that much is still under under exactly yeah. so there was a, there was a lot of water in there anyway i just thrashed it and just you know full noised it and then belted towards the closest beach i knew which was parker river and we got there and there was too much swell to get in there and i was like fuck we're just gonna have to try and get to blanket bay so i just pinned it as hard as i could to blanket bay and you know it's probably why there's splits in the hull now and why like well again but it just got worse and worse so the harder you went the bigger the split got yeah yeah. so it was letting in more water anyway we got to blanket bay and we just like i sort of pinned it through the little reef there and straight up onto the beach and we ripped everything out of the boat and we pulled the floor up and just basically (laughs) my mate you know good on him he bailed all the water out by hand you know i had a little bailing bucket luckily my bilge pump wasn't working of course (laughs) (laughs) which i knew didn't work two years prior and i was like i'll get around to fixing that it's like finally made me come unstuck but um yeah we bailed all the water out and kind of like fuck all right well we're on the beach now how are we going to get home and i was like kind of made the decision i was like i reckon we can just pin it home and, and make it so Basically, So was there swell on the beach that you were bailing out of? No, nah, not on the beach because like Blanket Bay, I don't know if you've been there, it's kind of like a little cove and it's kind of sheltered by these outer reefs. So there was no swell in there. 
but there was a bunch of people on the beach just like looking at us like what are you guys doing <laughs> yeah. you go, um, everyone's wet and like we're fucking drowned rats just in this shit little tinny trying to get the water out of it <laughs> we had some good gummies on the on the in the esky though which what, was what motor have you got on that I got a 40 Merc like an old two stroke oh so that goes so, alright goes alright well yeah kind of when it's going yeah when it's going <laughs> I had to do a bit of bush mechanic stuff on that as well but um yeah, we finally got all the water out and kind of dragged the water, the boat back in the water. And I was like, we're just going to have to pin it back to the bay, which I don't know how far it is. It's probably like maybe 10Ks, 12Ks total. And then because we were pinning it so hard, the boat just filled up with water again. How long in? Uh, it took maybe 40 minutes, I suppose, to get back. Were you pretty nervous? I was shitting myself. My mate was like, yeah, it's fine. But we had the floor up by then, so we could have bailed. And he just put his foot over the split trying to stop the water going, <laughs> which was pretty useless. But, yeah. yeah, kind of made us both feel a little bit better trying to stop it. But, yeah, it filled up again and we kind of got back and it was okay. But, yeah, that kind of put the wind up me. So I went and bought a new bilge pump, <laughs> which I installed. Yeah. Is it working? And, yeah, can't, sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so I ended up getting it fixed up and getting an alley welder to, to fix it up out of Clifton Springs and then um, then the last time I used it I went out with Adam Rawson we were off Bowen Heads you know what we are doing chasing tuna or something and yeah it filled up or maybe we went out chasing a shark or something and it filled up with water again and it's like had more splits and that wasn't quite as dire because you know I felt like we were closer to home and there was more beaches to to run it up on if we had to and it wasn't as bad as being down off Cape Otway in, in dirty water. How much water can you take on before it's like you can't pin it? I don't know and I kind of just like didn't really know. want to test it No, because I feel like you'd get to a certain point and then you could just like dip a corner in yeah. and then as soon as you dip a corner it just comes over the gunnels and then you're, then you're pretty fucked. But yeah, it, it put the wind up me and you know, I think I've got across the line to buy a bigger boat now so it's kind of been a good thing, I think. Okay. <laughs> what, 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 what are you thinking? Oh, I've been looking at these um, V17Ls. These are like old Hanes, like early 80s Hanes. It's like, why am I buying an old boat again? But like an old refurbed. Um, they got a, they got a deep hull. Yeah, they got a deep hull. They're a fiberglass thing. They're still kind of relatively small. They're like 17 or 18 feet. But they're, yeah, they're just sick little boats and should be able to go anywhere. As long as they've been redone properly. Yeah. Redone properly. Yeah. No holes. Where are you finding this one, Gumtree? I actually found one on Gumtree the other day. It's up in Queensland. Wouldn't mind going up there and eyeballing it. The bargain. Really? How far north? No, nah, it's just on in Brisbane. Oh, that's it. Oh, um, probably using it now. Yeah. Far out. It's wild. But yeah, I don't know. I think I've got it across the line to be able to, uh-huh. to be able to get one. So it's a safety thing, you know, John. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, because you are a father and a husband. Yeah. Now, how did you? You've been sweethearts with your wife since you were young. Have been. Yeah, since uh, school. Not school. She was uh, at a different school, but um, met her on the on the beach when I was. I think it was just after I'd finished school. I think it was the first summer out of school, and I was. I think I was lifeguarding at the time. You're lifeguarding? Yeah. What haven't you done, Finn Barry? Oh, mate. <laughs> Did you have um, red 
um, speedos. Of course I did. Fuck yeah. Of course I did. <laughs> yeah, no, I did like this paid lifeguard thing for, for a summer down in the bay and did a little bit in lawn as well. But I, um, did you have your ink then? No. Oh God. No. Damn no, it. Clean skin and yeah. you know, long blonde hair and the part. Yeah. Fully. That I was, yeah. A little skinner. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think I vaguely remember, I think it was Toby Jevons introduced me to Amy and, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember just hanging down the beach and, you know, doing the lifeguard thing and they'd come down and hang out for the day and, you know, hang sort of just off to the side. And then, um, then I think I invited them around. It was like her and a couple of her friends and invited them to the house that I was living in. Cause I moved out of home as soon as I finished school and I was like living in the corner of this house at eight Murray square with a curtain across it and like sleeping on a futon the couple of older guys and um you know like you don't come around to our place <laughs> i still remember them like getting home like fuck we got chicks coming over like clean the fucking house this place is a pigsty you know put the bong away and you know it was like it was just a sh- full shanty and i was like yeah this is my room you know it's a corner of the living room with a with a bed sheet across it <laughs> yeah proper yeah and then um yeah i don't know i was like she used to come down and she kind of just kept coming down and then where was she coming down from she was in moriac yeah where um where her parents lived so she'd come down to hang out with this darrow in a corner of a room <laughs> bed sheet for a wall yeah fully and then yeah then i upgraded and i moved into the laundry and that was you know, yeah yeah then she could see that you know, <laughs> i was on track for good things <laughs> this guy's going places yeah 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 he's moved out and moved into the laundry but, uh, yeah, that was an interesting time living there. That's awesome, though. I love it. And you guys are still together today. I love a good romance story. And <laughs> and, and now you're married and you've got two daughters. Yep, twin girls. I've got Winter and Noah. Yeah. Who, uh, they turned six on the 28th of March, which is uh, coming up a couple of weeks Twins away. was out of like, holy shit. Yeah, I found out, like, far out. <laughs> you know, we... <laughs> When we found out it was twins, like, remember, like, we found out pretty early and we were, like, in this doctor's room or whatever and, you know, he kind of was doing the uh, the medical check, I suppose you'd call it, and he was like, oh, yeah, you know, there's one heartbeat and, you know, and there's another. And, like, I just remember being like, fucking yes! You know, it was like, I'm the fucking man! And, yeah, I looked at Amy and she was just like, yeah, felt like, looked like her heart had just hit the ground. And, um... Obviously, I was, I think I was like late 20s or something. And I was just like, twin sick, this will be rad. And then she could obviously see the, the, the work that was going to be involved in it. And um, yeah, I was I was psyched on it from the, from the get-go. And How old were you at that stage? Uh, oh, I'm 34 now. It must have been late 20, 28 maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Yeah, it was like pretty rad and it's been a... Um, pretty rad six years i'll give it that so they have never slept they still don't sleep like through the night what do you mean they just don't sleep they just like you put them down over night time and then like want to wake up at like 11 or 12 and come and get into our bed or you know, you have to get up and then you go and sleep in their bed or whatever and because i'm like always out and about of a night time yeah, it's like yeah i get yeah. home and yeah. you know i get back and there's like i'll be sleeping in that one's bed because she's not in there and they've um yeah, they've always been a nightmare sleepers, and you know, 
even from a really young age. Basically, when they were babies, you know, I was up doing every feed with them as well because Amy couldn't, you know, couldn't do two of them at the same time. So we kind of shared the load there, and it was radical. You have had your hands full. Yeah. yeah In a great way. Yeah, it's been good. It has been good. Did you have a really full... <clears throat> there's a lot going on. Yeah, I did. <clears throat> and um, you did, you do. I do, yeah. <laughs> Still do. <clears throat> and was, I think, you know, I sort of mentioned earlier about like when I was driving to South Melbourne every day for work, you know, getting up two or three times in the middle of the night to, you know, feed and change nappies and do all that shit as you do when they're, you know, 12 months old and, and younger. And then to get up at 6.30, get in the car and then drive to Melbourne, work all day, come back and then do it. It was just like, it was wearing me pretty thin in the end. And then uh, that was, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I sort mm. of started looking at other, other avenues. You know, drive trucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how's the body holding up right now? I know you had your issues. Oh, my body's fucked. I've got the body of like an 80-year-old, I think. If you still got your, is the neck? How's the neck? The neck, you know, touch wood. At the moment is um, not too bad, but essentially I've had, you know, a, uh, you know, I did the disc in the C6, C7 many years ago, and I kind of managed that for a while, and then in 2018, I think it was, it like completely shit itself, and um, to the point where I was just getting like super crazy nerve pain my left arm was kind of rendered like pretty well useless and then uh you know back and forth through the doctors and whatnot and cortisone injections and you know a whole bunch of prednisolone and you know Lyrica this like you know drug that basically just numbs you completely to try and I suppose stop stop the nerve pain finally got in to see a surgeon and um he was like yep cool you're uh you've got to go in and get this done like now so I was I was pretty much on the table in I think it was like not even 10 days or something after seeing him and then they like completely removed the disc in my neck and then put like a little prosthetic spacer in which was kind of pretty rad um and I made the like the fatal mistake of you know watching the surgery online like before getting it done which was kind of pretty ill and like not gentle about it but they basically go in through the front of your neck and you know push all your you know, your throat and everything to the side and then remove the disc from the front. Which Why was, the fuck did you watch that? I don't know. <laughs> In hindsight, probably wasn't the most ideal thing, but I was like, just kind of interested. Just like, yeah, see yeah, how, yeah. How what are they going to do? And uh, yeah, I remember like feeling, yeah. That stuff usually doesn't kind of make me that squirmy, but I think, you know, knowing that they were going to be doing that to my neck, <laughs> so close to my spinal cord, and you know, they're kind of belting around in there with shit. And I was like, ugh. So yeah, that was kind of pretty nerve wracking. And then, yeah, it's kind of amazed like waking up out of the surgery and being off my lid for about a week on oxycodone or whatever it was. Oh, the oxys. Oh yeah, the oxys. Yeah. They, were, they were rad. I actually limited myself to like one of a night time just yeah. to, you know, send yourself to sleep. But far out, that was like a nice little cloud, wasn't it? <laughs> you get a 10 hours sleep after. They're pretty addictive, those little fucks, I believe. Yeah, I um, I reckon I've still got one floating around somewhere. Oh, yeah, you know yeah, where it is. waiting for a rainy day. <laughs> you know where it is. <laughs> nah, it's been there for a while. But, um, yeah, so it kind of came pretty good after that, and I didn't surf for, I think it was like two or three months, and then, then I surfed, and I was kind of like just getting back into it, and then 
I was surfing Winky the following autumn, I reckon it was. It was like in April. And um, decided to do a cartwheel down at Lowers. You know, did the disc below it. Oh, my God. As well. But um, that wasn't as bad. That was like just a herniated disc. And, um, yeah, that one was just kind of ended up being I missed winter. I was like out of the water for three months while that kind of mended up. But, yeah, that was kind of pretty shit. I feel like I hadn't surfed like a full winter for a couple of years. Seems like as soon as the weather gets cold down here, my body sort of starts to seize and oh, it makes it difficult. Starts to feel all the yeah. all the old nooks and crannies. You know, <clears throat> my knees are kind of pretty cooked. My right one, you know, more so than my left. But I've had, I think, three knee surgeries on the on the right, which you know they're not um, ricos or anything. They've just been those arthroscopes with you know cleaning torn, out. Yeah, full clean out. But it's happened that many times now. You know, after the third one, basically they cleaned out the last of it and the problem is now like if i you know have heavy impact on that knee then i just get bone bruising straight away and you know the bone bruising lasts for fucking ages and it hurts and it just shits me and it gets stiff and sore and and whatnot but i'm surfing now and i've been able to get in the water and it only hurts a little bit um don't want to suck about it too much while i'm surfing that's that's good but I'm glad that you're back in the water. Did you? No, I was just going to change. Did you get those, that ink? I just completely forgot. Did you get that ink that you were going to get the other day? Uh, you were going to get some new. Yeah, I did. I went and got a few. Um, maybe two weeks ago. Yeah, you were like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to get. I'm just going to go and have oh, a look. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. So I went and saw this. Um, oh, <laughs> this guy. His name's John Entwistle or Johnny Dollar, and he's like one of the original tattoo artists in in Melbourne. He's like literally been tattooing for you know close to 65 years. So he's like, he's, he's, he's this old guy. He's, yeah. he's super rad. But I went in there and I kind of loosely had in my you know in my head what I wanted to get. And you know I sort of looked around. And I was like, oh, I really like this like little scorpion down here, you know. And he was like, oh yeah. He's like, all right, cool. He's like, I've got one out the back that I reckon's better and you will like even more. So he came out with like a different little flash sheet and was like, what do you reckon of this one? And I was like, let's do it. So he's kind of like the old school vibe where you just kind of roll in and pick one off the wall so you know i've got another one on my leg from him as well it's a whole it's a whole world that i don't really know but i know that like once you start and each artist has like within the tattoo community like yeah that's a such and such and yeah it's it's funny and you know johnny dollar you know as an australian artist i think he's you know pretty well renowned you know people they will see you know if I see guys with tattoos and like I can pick the Johnny Dollars that they've got, you know, if it's the, you know, the That's traditional his name, Johnny sort of Dollar. Yeah, or John, John, John Entwistle, but yeah, nickname's Dollar. That's a great name. Yeah, he's rad. But um, yeah, he's such a gentleman as well. He's like a legend, but he will physically stop tattooing you and be like, all right, time to go for a durry. <laughs> so like the one I had on the weekend was like a, a two durry break tattoo how long is that oh it's like maybe an hour yeah right. okay <laughs> so it's like he's know, having a few days not like he's jonesing for it over the course of four hours yeah. it's like you know before we even started he was like oh well, before we get started we may as well have a durry and then you know halfway through it he's like no oh, well i've done the black time for a durry <laughs> yeah yeah he's he's a little bit more sophisticated than the way I say it, but he's uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's still just a old school tattoo artist. Where, and where is he? 
He's on uh, Punt Road, just in like looks like a house from the um, from Punt Road, pretty much opposite the um, where is it? The Tigers. The ti- I was thinking yeah. that. Yeah, it's just like there's just, a couple of bars there. Yeah, so it's like yeah. well, not not right there. It's sort of like between there and and Bridge Road. Yeah, I okay, suppose. going back a bit. Yeah, north. Correct. Yeah, uh, uh, up Hoddle Hoddle Street. Yeah, so. towards yeah, towards that. Yeah, um, and now who gave you the King Island thing? Oh, the the voucher? Is that what you got? Yeah, I did. <clears throat> I got um that for my birthday probably three years ago. But then, oh, you've had it for three years? Yeah, but then COVID happened. Oh. So it was like, oh, well, I can't fucking travel anywhere. And then uh, I'm kind of hoping they might still like, I think it was valid for like 24 months or something. So I'm kind of hoping that they might honor Oh, the I know someone there. Go. I'm pretty sure they'll honor Yeah, yeah. So I was going to lean on that guy. Yeah. <laughs> mentioned about hunting and, and shit like that and yeah put me on the fucking plane you know i have been there been there once before i went there oh it's not me i'm not the ago. guy i know the people that have that voucher thing ah yes yes yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes eddie nanatole you got to hook finn up yeah i like it i like it no i'd be keen to get back down there i went down there i reckon maybe 10 years ago with a couple of mates and we kind of didn't get sick waves but it was a sick trip yeah ky is a pretty rad place you know snakes and waves and fishing and snakes you know. do you know that island off there with all those snakes snake island no. i don't know it's not snake island, but do you know that island just off folks as they look at those two islands is it christmas there's a, is it a christmas island? we'll just say yeah but yeah I the islands yeah, the yeah. Two, there's two out of yeah, yeah i know the ones that one of those has the most per meter densely populated area of snakes in australia i'd believe it yeah 100 percent Anyway, I reckon it's when we were down there, there was, yeah, we, it was like April or something as well. So like it wasn't warm and there were still fucking snakes everywhere. Yeah. I talked to a farmer down there once and it was a she and she was like, well, we get snakes year round. And I was like, bullshit. <laughs> and then, yeah. But I've been down there cold and seen them. Yeah. So yeah, if there's a you know patch of sun, snakes will come out. Yeah. Is that because it's not so temperate? I mean, it's, you know, like inland it gets frost and shit and down there they just don't. Well, I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure, but I reckon Tassie's the same. It seems like down in Tassie as well, like the snakes down there, they're kind of always out and about year round. Fucking snakes. Yeah. I don't mind them. I reckon they're pretty rad. Yeah. Did, so did you see them hunting a bit? Uh, yeah, I've seen a few. I saw... Um, I mean, you posted a whole lot of them recently, didn't yeah. you? What was that montage? Yeah, there's been... Yeah, I've come across a few. Like, And there was, you know, talking about them coming out in, you know, winter and stuff. Like, we were up, up in this spot maybe... A, I think it was like... Might have been the first week of August... And like I was like basically on my hands and knees, like crawling under a bush and popped up, stood up and kind of looked behind me. And there was this fucking huge red belly black snake, like coiled up, you know, not looking aggressive or anything. It was just chilling. But it was like the sun wasn't out. It was kind of like almost misty rain. And there was this you know, huge, like fucking five foot, six foot snake just coiled up there, just sitting there like looking at me. And I was like... That put the wind up me because oh I literally God. just crawled past my hands and knees, not thinking about snakes because it was fucking three degrees outside. August. In August, in the high country. And I remember I jumped on the radio and was like, you know, said to, said to Raw Dog, I was like, just fucking letting you know, like, I've seen a snake out. And so like, you know, watch where you're putting your hands and feet. And, you know, he basically radioed back and goes, I just had one, like, 
sitting at like eye line on like a you know a rock basically looking at him as well oh my god so they're out and about and then that last trip up into the Warrangatta uh, river where we were with my mate Tom he was the same thing he radioed me and he was like fuck I just nearly stepped on a huge snake that was getting later that was like or no October so it was starting to get pretty warm and then I was like walking back you know watching very carefully where I put my feet because it was like yeah, the sun was pretty high by that time. Do and you was, have like gators and stuff? On I wear or? gators all year round. Yeah, yeah. Not only like for the snakes, but you can kind of just kind of kick through shrub and stuff like that as well. It's kind of a comfort thing. Do they stop a snake bite? Well, the ones that I've got, they're like they they won't call them snake proof. You know, because I think if a snake does get through it, then they've got a lawsuit on their hand. But mm. you know, they say that yeah, the best guard against snakes. Um, but yeah, you'd be pretty hard done by having a snake get through it. But I was like walking back along the the Wanangatta River, <clears throat> and there was fucking huge red belly black. Seems to be heaps of red belly blacks up there, and it was just like not coiled up, but just like basking half in like an inch worth of water with its head like sitting on this rock. Oh, I was just chilling, and I ended up yeah, I don't mind snakes. So I ended up sitting about ten feet away from it, and just sat there and watched it for about ten minutes, and it just kind of sat there and. I just sat there and it was a pretty cool little moment. I took a heap of photos of it and whatnot. And then I radioed my mate, Tommy, and sort of said, oh, just letting you know there's a massive... I've been sunbaking with a red, red belly. belly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and I was like, just, you know, watch out because it's there. And then um, he saw it on the way back as well. It was doing the same thing. But it, it slinked into the water when he was there and then like fully just like swam down into the depths of the Wanangatta River. Which is super weird because, I don't know, I just didn't think that they were like an underwater swimming snake. So it went head under? Yeah, fully just like went under and disappeared. Oh, that's frightening. And it's like, you know, this is, he told me this after I'd got back to camp and it was kind of hot and we were on the river and, you know, there's no one around. So I like stripped off and like went for a dip in the river, feeling kind of pretty safe. But, yeah, I don't know if I'd. Go for a nude swim in there again. Well, yeah, it happened to us in the Grampians over New Year, hmm. having a little swim, and then I just looked over Virginia's shoulder, and there was like literally just out there, I could just see a head, and I was like, "Holy fuck!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like great. I just grabbed her arm. I was like, yeah. "Come this way, come this way, yeah. just chill, chill. It's all good." <laughs> and I was trying to get out of the water as quickly as possible without being f- freaky yeah come and, on let's go yeah, let's yeah. Go. and then billy cottoned on and she she was like swimming and Freaking she out. she realized that i was a little and she started giving the little whimpers like fucking wait for me <laughs> anyway they're spooky fucks yeah they're pretty um red creatures to watch though yeah we've seen a couple on that trip as long as you see them awesome as long as you see them yeah and you can kind of i don't know i feel like you can almost read them like their body language as well like yeah yeah you know if they're kind of making quick darty movements they're probably usually pretty pissed off and if their neck's flattened out they're probably they're basically saying you know fuck off or i'm gonna bite you so don't try and pick those ones up but you know if they're just kind of cruising you can kind of walk past them pretty casually going into cats the other must have been 10 days ago or something you know the start of that track it's slippy yeah I've never actually been into cats oh well that, <laughs> anyway I don't want to tell you the story then, anyway but anyway I nearly slipped on top of one I was, just, I was tumbling in the dirt and it was in the dirt below me rolling in the Ugh. you know the dirt pushes down yeah I freaked 
Like, like freak. a cat on a hot tin roof. Totally. Just like arms and legs going everywhere. Totally. It, was like, it felt like a cartoon. And then I was like, all right, Billy's going back to the car. And then I got a shovel. And I was like, I'm not going to walk in here without a shovel making hits and noise. <laughs> and I just felt like such an idiot. Like if any bushy saw me in there, like walking with it, you know, what are you doing? Yeah. Oh, just nothing. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, I reckon if you're in the bush, you're, like, you're always best to go walk first, you know, because you know, the guy in the front always pisses it off and then it bites the guy behind you. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Finn Barry, I'm going to say thanks Heath, for coming and talking snakes and all things Barton Man. No worries. Thank you. Put it here. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it there was my chat with none other than the Otway sniffer Finn Barry Finn thank you so much for coming around man awesome always always great to hang out with you um, and for everybody else I hope you enjoyed that conversation I told you that Finn Barry was a good dude and um, hold th- the throttle on strong in all areas in all areas if that doesn't inspire you to get out and about and have a look around I don't know maybe won't anyway look and if it do get out there have a look there's epic things to see on our doorstep i don't know where your doorstep is where you're listening to this but there's doorsteps everywhere with epic things just out the fucking doorstep blah 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 anyway look i hope this finds you well and thanks again for tuning in always appreciate your ears um keep on trucking all right adios